I mean, what's my football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live, live, that's right, on YouTube here at Western and Southern Studio. You're back. I am. In the building. Yeah, we're back together. Yeah. Over the last two months, I think we did one show together <laughs> in studio on the literal day that I was leaving town, which yeah. was like the day after you got back into town. Yeah. Well-timed. Uh-huh. But that's what people do. They break up for the summer. Well, the question is, is it better doing it that way, right, where we stagger our our disappearances from the building or we both just bounce for a month and then you're left with somebody else completely yeah that would be terrible for an entire month people would forget about us i know so i just want to be the first to wish you a happy birthday (laughs) (laughs) yeah which you thought was today it was actually monday Uh uh-huh yeah screwed up Mm -hmm. screwed up Uh, we had a crazy day Monday, so that also didn't help my brain. But um, <laughs> my mom's birthday is yesterday, and I knew that you you were on one side of my mom's birthday. Yeah. And uh, I picked the wrong side. I thought it was today, and it was actually Monday. So uh, so happy birthday! Thanks. And Thanks. Uh, welcome to forty one. Yeah. And I'll get you a, I'll get you a treat after if you want. A treat? Yeah. Like a dog? More like uh, the bakery that you like. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, that works. It yeah. still won't be open anymore, but. They still do stuff around noon? Oh, we might, we might be tapped out by then. All right, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. So Brown bear. Everything. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, it's good to be back. Here we are. Yeah. I was on Mina's show recently. I saw that. She said, uh, good job getting right to the content recently. Oh. And today we're not doing that. Right. She was the one that gave us the feedback, right? She initially gave us the feedback. Don't Critical. talk so much at the top. Critical feedback. Yeah. And then she gave us some follow-up feedback you know, a year later and said, hey, good job. Which we're now ignoring. Yeah. Completely ignoring. Because I haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> we're just catching up here live on YouTube. So um, lots happened in the last couple of days, mostly money-related. Lots of new contracts. Justin Herbert of the Chargers, Trevon Diggs. We've got a couple tackles just this morning. Titus Howard of the Texans, Andrew Thomas of the New York Giants will break those down and we'll get into some year two breakouts and some other training camp news. Did uh, did you get a new contract yet? I have not. I didn't get a new contract yet either. Yeah. Well, it's uh, the season. We should we should bring it up. Let the record show. We're looking for new contracts <laughs> over here if you're still listening over here, Chris. Yeah, if yeah. You're, I know he's prepping for the Hall of Fame game and he's got, you know, I mean, look, the, he's got to know the 90 man for each team, but new contracts, get them over here. Everyone is looking at this Justin Herbert deal and they're like, what does this mean for Joe Burrow? Right. I mean, the real question is, what do these contracts mean for our contract? So I think more realistically, I look at the Pat McAfee contract and ah. think, okay, what does that mean for us? You know, I'm taller. You are. Than Pat. Much taller. And probably not as talented in any other way. Right. But, um, you know, just because well, you can do wondered- a shooting star press and run this incredible show. Do you think those kind of deals scale, you know? So McAvee got whatever he got from ESPN. It was like $80 million or something, right? Like yeah. what percentage of his talent do you have? Are you therefore worth that percentage of $80 million? You know, if I'm like, like Killian, Killian Mbappe, right, is apparently being offered like a billion dollars from Saudi Arabia to play. I'm like, I don't know what percentage of Killian Mbappe I am as a soccer player, right? Let's say it's 0.1%. But 0.1% of a billion is still quite a lot of money. I'll take that to go play in Saudi. 
Yeah. I don't think it works like that, though. No, I don't think it does. It, it doesn't seem to scale that way. So, uh, yeah, we'll just we'll use the uh, the McAfee deal as a as a baseline. As a, as a baseline, right. and we'll uh, we'll we'll discuss. With, he set the benchmark. We'll discuss with Chris. Yeah. See how see what happens. Cool. I'm sure, that'll go well. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get into some of the uh, the QB news. Training camp has officially started for every single team. Every single. And team. Um, oh, really quick before we really get into it, this is football stuff. I made a vow on Twitter or X. <laughs> I made a vow that I'm going to buy into all the training camp hype again this year. Ah. Every video, all of them, especially extra points when it comes from the official team account. Okay. So when you see that, you know, check down. So the more That's bias good. attached to the tweet, yes. the more you're buying into it. Buying into it. Gotcha. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy into all of it. Every team's going 17-0 this year. Okay. 16-1 at worst because it's uh, positivity season on steroids here. All right. Cool. All right. Let's go. Justin Herbert got paid, man. He did. Got paid a lot of money. So what's that do? Joe Burrow's up next. Yeah. Five-year, $260-plus million deal, uh, deal for Justin Herbert. Uh more than Lamar Jackson, but so we've seen this forever, right? With quarterbacks, there was a point where Joe Flacco was the highest paid quarterback, and then Derek Carr was the highest paid quarterback. It, it's often who's the next good plus starter, you know, good or better starter that needs a contract, and that guy ends up resetting the market, so to speak, or at least being at the top of the market. So, um, Justin Herbert, he gets paid now, Joe Burrow's the next guy. And then people always circle back to what happens to you know, the Patrick Mahomes deal that was a 10-year deal where they, are, they have tons of flexibility in Kansas City to move money around and make sure that the salary cap is in healthy shape every single year. But Kansas City said at some point they're going to go back and revisit and make sure Mahomes is getting paid you know, similar to what his peers are because Mahomes is right now 7th or 8th when it comes to just uh, APY. So what are your thoughts here on Herbert getting paid? Um, I mean, a few things. Number one, the structure of the contract, I think, is kind of interesting because we had this. This is what all the contracts used to look like. Like every quarterback that signed, it was a five-year deal, and then the numbers just kept getting bigger for inflation. You know, the further we went, the salary cap's always going up. The quarterback contract is always going up. And then there was a period of time where it looked like everybody started to get quite creative with quarterback contracts. You had the Kirk Cousins route of I'll take a shorter deal instead of five, give me three, but make it fully guaranteed. And we just keep re-upping that. You had the Patrick Mahomes deal where I'm going to sign for a decade for a half a billion dollars and we'll have this sort of rolling guarantee structure. Um, and then obviously the Deshaun Watson contract kind of broke things given the the desperation that the Browns had there, a uh, fully guaranteed five-year deal. And now the last couple have sort of gone back to, eh, what was wrong with the old structure? Let's just go back to that. Five-year deal, let's just make the numbers bigger. So Lamar signs this deal, and then the Herbert deal looks basically like the Lamar deal plus a couple of million across the board, Um, which makes sense. I just find it interesting that the last couple of deals seem to have gone full circle and back to that tried and and tested kind of quarterback contract structure. I think part of that's because those are drafted quarterbacks that are – you know the the guy for that franchise the the Sean Watson thing was different uh, in part because of everything he was dealing with off the field but that you know essentially got pushed aside and th- there became a bidding war for him but right. that's what it was it was a bidding war for a guy that you had to trade for so that was a little bit of what made that different and Kirk Cousins I think when he's on the open market he's not you know the guy that was drafted you know he's a free agent he's not the guy that was drafted that you're you know saying okay we're going to lock him up for the you know for his prime basically um so we're back to 
Herbert's drafted and going to be the guy. Burrow's drafted, going to be the guy. Mahomes, Josh Allen. So, yeah, it is interesting where this Herbert deal lands. I do think the Chiefs will circle back on Mahomes and kind of bump him up a little bit, but um, they're still spending a lot. And, um, you know, they've, they have incredible flexibility right now. But at, at some point, I don't think Mahomes wants to be like the 10th highest paid quarterback in the NFL or player in the NFL. So I think they'll, they'll revisit that, as they said. Maybe, though that's, I mean, part of that is also kind of comes with the territory when you sign a decade-long deal for half a billion dollars. Like, at some point, you know, I mean, you know what the, like, you can see what the graph looks like. Like, we know roughly how much the cap is going to go up in any given period of time. This is not a shock, is what I'm saying. Like, we've reached this point in the deal uh what's uh, lee steinberg that's his agent's name yeah. right lee steinberg isn't looking at this going oh wow this is totally blindsided this didn't see these deals coming like well, well that's knew. why i think they said at the time like you know we know this will happen we know right. at some point this contract is going to look super but that deal we'll was sort of structured with this idea of it was going to be team friendly yeah. over the longer period of time it's you know on the, the flip side of that is patrick mahomes got to ink a half a billion dollars when he signed his name to the paper um the Herbert one is kind of interesting because, I mean, clearly the Chargers have no doubts or reservations whatsoever about how good Herbert is or can be. We're all in this sort of cycle of, you know, there's a missing percentage to Justin Herbert somewhere, and he needs to show that last piece to get to the same category as the Mahomes, the Josh Allens, the Joe Burrows of the world. I mean, the Chargers have just paid him as if he's already there, and you know, if you look at a lot of um, just kind of conventional numbers, you get the argument. Like, he's got the most passing yards of any quarterback ever through their first three years. Stop. No. He's second Stop. to Dan Marino in touchdowns. No. Stop it. I'm banning all of the – I'm banning those stats. But these I'm are the things people look at. counting stats. I told you this was going to happen two years ago. I told you it was going to happen. He's second to Marino. I told way. you it was going to happen. Stop it. How insane does that make Dan Marino? In 1985, he had – he set the most touchdowns for any quarterback yeah, in the first three years. It's in still the 16 hasn't been game broken. schedule. Yeah, yeah, and it still hasn't been broken. When we went to the 17 game schedule, I said a couple years from now, we're going to see, oh, Justin Jefferson's got the most receiving yards through three years. Oh, we've never seen anything like this. Yes, because we've never seen somebody play that many games. Yeah. It's also really good, Justin Jefferson and Justin Herbert. Just stop with the counting stats that are inflated with extra football games plus this passing era. Just stop it. And good for Dan Marino. He was awesome. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just saying he has it rather than Burrow, you know, or other quarterbacks, Tua. Like, it, it, Justin Herbert is setting some pretty insane paces and statistics, so you can kind of get the idea of the Chargers looking at this or anybody looking at this and saying he's already one of the best quarterbacks ever. He's already one of the best quarterbacks out there. Pay the man. And so it's almost like they've determined already that – He's at that level, and now Kellen Moore has been brought in to firmly unlock that. Like, the, the blame for that has been squarely placed on the previous, previous coaches and offensive coordinators, whereas I think the view from this seat, anyway, I'm not going to speak for you, but the view from here is more, I mean, it probably is, but he might just be that way. Like, the, Herbert might actually skew a little bit more conservative than you would expect a guy with that arm and that ability to deliver ridiculous passes does and that's why he's had this very low average depth of target he's had the best uh turnover worthy play rate in the nfl for two consecutive years and we're expecting somebody like kellen moore to come in and try and unlock that last percentage of you know optimal 
uh, aggression, but maybe that isn't there to be unlocked. I'm going to bring something up to um, because I, I've that's been my talking point for a while. The the low average depth of target. I might try to bring a different angle to that in just a second, and maybe even contradict myself. But first, what's on your family's summer bucket list? Maybe some traveling, going swimming, cookouts in the backyard. Something that should be on every parent's bucket list, those protecting your children through every season of life, no matter what. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick and easy to protect your family with a term life insurance policy so you can focus on the fun. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric was fle- has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFF NFL policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. So what if the average depth of target, because it's all on a per-play basis, what if it's more so the result of the Chargers play calling and and just being a little bit more forward-looking, pushing the run game aside a little bit more, replacing it with those shorter passes to set things up? I, I wonder if sometimes we focus from a – player standpoint maybe too much on the per play when there are a certain number of plays that are kind of out of their control so in other words if so like when when Russell Wilson was at his best he didn't have any of those gimmies high completion percentage screens and uh, they didn't work quick game or anything like that but at the same time he would look pretty in you know statistically in all the you know yards per attempt and everything because he was pretty much play action downfield passing right for for Russell Wilson if if you took Russell Wilson back then and you said okay instead of hammering the ball into the defense on first down every single time we're going to give you a little four yard pass here four yard pass there the per play metrics would look worse but it might be better for the team you know to to replace some of those runs with passes how much of that is Herbert's game um, the Chiefs do that well with Mahomes, and he still has incredible per-play metrics, whatever. But they, when you replace the run with the pass, is that going to affect your average depth of target? Is that going to affect your things? And are we unfairly calling Herbert conservative where it might just be, again, they're replacing all of their second and ten runs. They're replacing a lot of those with the short passing game that we would, that we would say is a good thing, and that's going to affect the, the per-play stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I think, generally speaking, we don't know collectively what the answer is to the balance of this. And All that feels- said, really quick, but like I would rather see Herbert throw the ball down the field more, but it's not as simple as, hey, look at this number, and it's too low, make it higher. And it's but not there's even- definitely more aggressiveness to be had there. Yeah, and it's not even necessarily the deep passes that are missing. Like His, av- his average at the target is not necessarily an indication of he doesn't throw deep very often because his his uh, percentage of deep passing it's not high but it's not you know scarily low like it, it it's the same as Kirk Cousins it's slightly ahead of Patrick Mahomes so like that's not necessarily the metric that you're looking at to say this is problematic it's and so this is the other thing is like it feels a bit like the Russell Wilson dynamic in Seattle where there was this agreed upon 
uh, feeling for a few years that like Russell Wilson is playing fantastically. He's great, but there's more to be had here. Like we are not currently hitting on all cylinders. We're not redlining this thing. There's a gap, right? There's an extra piece to be had here. And the feeling for ages was, well, this is Pete Carroll holding a bank, right? The let Russ cook movement, all that kind of thing. And now that maybe has flipped 180 given what Russ did last year, but whatever. The point being, it felt for a while that there was a like a missing percentage of optimal play to be had with that Seattle offense and with Russell Wilson. That's where I think it feels like we are with Justin Herbert right now, which is he's playing fantastically. He's putting out those uh, career statistics that Steve hates. Like there's a lot of, from the outside, everything looks great, right? But I think everybody seems to feel that we're missing just a little bit. There's a little bit further we could go to the, till we hit the red line here. Maybe there isn't though. Like maybe this is actually like it's already firing as well as it fires. Like it's this is as good as this is as good as it gets. He's got the best turnover-worthy play rate in the NFL for two straight years. He's the most careful quarterback with the football, whilst firing deep at an average level, whilst putting up you know the most yards and second most touchdowns ever in the first three years. Like, what are we complaining about? Maybe this is just it. It is interesting looking at the grades for Herbert. It, <coughs> how much of our perception of him was what happened the first two years, right? He had a 79 grade as a rookie. We were so impressed because he looked like a completely different quarterback than he was at Oregon. Gets into a new system. Um, there were still a lot of limitations with the Chargers and their offense, but it was like, man, Herbert's doing some stuff, right? I mean, he is showing the special arm talent and not making the same mistakes, really, that he made in college. 90 grade in 2021, which included his, his rushing, but he falls back into a 78 last year. So we the same question I think I've I've raised about Deshaun Watson, who has one elite game, one elite grade in, say, four full seasons. Herbert's got one elite grade in three seasons, but it's really impressive that he's do, you know played this well you know, in his first three years. Can he get back up to that elite production level? I think he has it in him, but yeah, I think there's still it's still fair to say, is this what he is? Actually, on the, the Alex Smith uh, spectrum of, of more conservative type of quarterbacks, uh, in Alex Smith plus type of player, which is fine. Um, but we've also seen quarterbacks be able to like manipulate their aggressiveness. I always reference Stafford and Derek Carr at various points. There's, I, I do think that there is more there to Herbert, and we'll see what happens now. It's his third offensive system in four years, third third offensive coordinator, if Kellen Moore can, can un- unlock that. But I think overall the Chargers should be thrilled with Herbert, his performance, what he's capable of. Now it's like, all right, go, go earn that money and go – go win some games and overcome these Chargers curses and jokes that we always make. The next thing to come from that, though, is what it means for Joe Burrow's contract, because that's the next one up, like same draft class, you know, a guy that clearly um, clearly has earned the extension already in terms of what he's already done. I am fascinated by, because Burrow has been a quarterback that's actually made some noise about wanting to keep the guys around, you know, wanting to keep the nucleus together, which from the outside presumably means not just him and Jamar Chase, but T. Higgins as well. Like, keep all those guys there. Um, Can he do that whilst also beating Justin Herbert's contract, which would be the, like, Justin Herbert's a couple million dollars across the board ahead of Lamar Jackson's. The next one up would be Burrow, so that's your starting point, right? Here's our structure. Now just put a couple of extra uh, numbers on top of that, and we're good. That's basically how that contract should work unless there's something else at work there, which is Burrow deliberately saying, I want 
we need to keep T. Higgins and we need to keep Jamar Chase. If I need to take a couple million less to make that happen, then okay. So are we going to see the next contract in that sequence or is he actually going to leave a little bit of money on the table to make that happen? I think we're going to see the next contract in that sequence. And I also think there might be another year or two tacked on for Burrow. I think we might see a happy medium. I I don't have any insight on this. More of a Josh Allen type of contract. I think it'll be closer to Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes than Justin Herbert. um, For a couple of reasons. This is me not having any inside info, but just kind of driving through town here, Sam. Joe Burrow, just to back up really quick. Remember Carson Palmer was giving interviews and he's like, oh, Joe Burrow, you know, he's, he's kind of warning him. He's like, oh, the Bengals might screw you over at some point. You know, they don't like to spend. They got this reputation and everything. I think that's changed. I do think the Bengals see what they have. And just driving through town, there's an indoor practice facility now. Mm. I, 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 the, the, the bubble. The bubble is like the bubble that Burrow built, right? I mean, if, <laughs> if, Dal- if Andy Dalton was still the quarterback, they're still probably practicing outside. So I, in, um, I was over at the facility recently for whatever reason. I was over at the facility. The whole locker room's getting an overhaul. Yeah. You know, they're, they're building. Like, they they're expanding. Some, they put everywhere. out some images, some renders, I think they're called, of, uh, yeah. of all kinds of stuff the other day. It feels different, right? So the Bengals, and, and they see the, the buzz around town and everything, and you know, no disrespect to Carson Palmer or, or anything, but when Carson Palmer came in, they weren't knocking at the door. They had one really nice season. They weren't knocking at the door of a Super Bowl. I think – I think the Bengals see the opportunity here. So, again, no inside info on this or anything, but if Herbert's at five years and Allen and Mahomes are at 10, maybe Burrow's a a seven-year guy that's going to have more, you know, a higher APY than than Herbert, but with that cap flexibility. Because I think, you know, you mentioned with Burrow, so he wants to keep guys together. I think there's a world where they can keep Jamar Chase and T. Higgins together and that they want to, and that's going to be their best bet to compete. And they see that they have to do this to compete with the Chiefs and the Bills and the Chargers and all these other teams here. The interesting thing, we talked to Brad about this a while ago on the show, and you know, Brad's essentially of the opinion that quarterbacks should never leave money on the table because there's a way for teams to get it done if they want to get it done. Yeah. Right? Nobody, the salary cap is real. It's not like it's a fake thing that doesn't have to be factored in, but you can always make the moves happen that you want to make happen if you're willing to do it and if you're prepared to do it. And with the line of sight the Bengals have had on these three guys coming, like they should be prepared for this at this point. So he's effectively saying that you leaving money on the table is just cutting a billionaire a break for no reason, right? If they want to keep T. Higgins, Joe Burrow, and Jamar Chase in the building, along with those offensive linemen, they can do it without Joe Burrow leaving $3 million on the table somewhere along the line. Um, So that's definitely a perspective. I also think from Burrow's point of view, there's like a huge sort of PR win in like symbolically leaving a million or two on the table. Like if he just came in a million under Herbert and then put it out there like, oh, Burrow's Burrow's leaving money on the table to make sure that T. Higgins stays in the building. Like that guy's going to look like a god. He'll have the Tom Tom Brady thing. For years, that's all we heard about Brady was that guy's leaving money on the table so that he can keep his slot receiver in the building. Like what a guy. What a quarterback. Maybe to help with like a starting linebacker. And yeah. it was, it's always overblown, but like yeah. that was a big thing of his, about his reputation for a long period of time. If Burrow came out here, and you could even structure it in such a way where like you actually end up getting more money, you know, quickly or whatever, but you leave like the overall number instead of 260, it's like 258. But that's the, but that's the play too, right? <laughs> Those guys have a brand that is going to make a ton of money elsewhere. Sure. 
And so your reputation, your brand, so to speak, whatever that there's a strategic move to your point. Like if, if we left a couple bucks on the table, there's a strategic move. Well, we're going to make it back in right. endorsements or whatever it is, or just public perception that's going to lead to endorsements, whatever it might and be. And you could potentially even have it with like a higher guaranteed number anyway. So it's just the yeah. one number that's lower. And that's, that's the one you put out saying, hey, look, he left money on the table. What a great guy. That's one of those things that I was talking to a former uh, cap guy from the NFL. And he's like, you, you need to know what agents want. Because sometimes they just want that high APY number, right. and it's 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 actually leaving money on the table, and it's actually it's, helpful from the team. Yeah, it's like, leaving right, guarantees. We can on make the that number whatever yeah. you want. Other people want, you know, let me max cash, let me max the guarantee, let me. But a lot of agents, and we see the way our, um, you know, media folks end up tweeting right. things out. What the agent wants out there is going to get tweeted out. Yeah, yeah by insiders, and if you want to say, oh, this is the highest contract, this is the highest APY, this is what. The, right, most that shows players, what the agent wants. Most players and agents benefit from being able to say they're the highest paid guy in the NFL. But Burrow is one of the unusual situations where I actually think from a like a, a PR standpoint, he benefits from not being. Like he could actually he, he actually ends up bet, looking better and being better saying I could have been the highest paid player in the NFL, but I chose not to be so yeah. that I can keep my receivers in the building. He just looks great if that happens. Yeah. So I, I, I say it on almost every other show, but I'm fascinated by the Bengals building, you know, team building effort because I, I do believe, as much as we've talked about T. Higgins as a potential trade candidate, I do believe they'll pay the three big players, Burrow, Chase, and Higgins. They have the ability to stagger it in a certain way that you know Higgins might may have a huge cap number one year and then it's Chase the next year. You can manipulate all of those things. But at the same point, it's like it's football. It's more than just three players. So all of those teams have to make those decisions. When you have Allen, you have Burrow, you have Herbert, you have Mahomes, what's the best deployment of the second to fifth best, you know, highest salaries on your team? What's the combo? Like in Kansas City, it's probably going to be Chris Jones because they have access to a Chris Jones. In Cincinnati, having it as two wide receivers, I mean, if I, on paper, I would, love, I, I would love for my highest paid players to be my quarterback and then two pass catchers that I trust. I believe that's how you win, and then you know you figure out everything else. The Bengals have that opportunity. The Chargers don't necessarily have that just yet. The Bills have Stephon Diggs, but we, they don't. Have, you know, the Bengals might have this advantage to have players two and three to be their their pass catchers, so that they always have that stability around Joe Burrow. All right, who else got paid? Um, Andrew Thomas this morning. Trevon Diggs. Where do you want to go? Start with Trevon Diggs, if you like. Yesterday. <laughs> Trevon Diggs, Cowboys. Yeah. He, uh, he tweeted at me recently for something. He said I've been quiet. Yeah? Yeah. Calling you out? Yeah, I ignored it. Oh. I don't, I don't well, that's not fun. That. You got to engage. That, that engagement's the name of the game. You got to get... I'm mad. I just tweeted out an innocent stat at the end of the <laughs> 2021 season that he'd given up over 1,000 yards in coverage. Yeah. Which is a milestone, which is good. It's a milestone. And that was before the 17th game. Ah. Uh, it was before the 17th game. So it counts. Yes. Okay. I made sure not to, uh, you know, uh, not to do counting stats in a 17-game no, schedule be and be like, I've never seen this before in my life, like everyone else does. He also tweeted, um, so the, the main Twitter account tweeted something recently. Or what, what's the, it's not tweeted anymore. What is it? What's the verb? We'll stick with tweeted. Okay. They tweeted. Not saying that. With X an X. Something. Well, so apparently they're, cause they're supposed to be called like X's now. But I don't know what the verb is. What is, like, 2X? X'd it. The, X'd he X'd it? God, that's, I don't that's want that to bad. be a thing. Um, anyway. Did they workshop all of these? They, 
they put something out into the social media ether that had Trayvon Diggs, I forget who it was next to, Slay maybe, but another corner who was good. Um, and they had all their statistics, and one of them at the bottom was like number of open targets allowed, right? And Diggs quote, tweet, quote, quote, X'd that and was like, what the hell is that? What, what, you, what even is an open target allowed? And I think the general consensus was, again, like you, it's, it's best to ignore it. Let's not, let's not engage. Let's not feed the trolls. Whereas it would have been much funnier if they'd simply replied with a large image of him, like, trailing behind a receiver who was wide open, being like, one of these. Yeah. And you had 50 of them. <laughs> it's when a receiver's open. Yeah. yeah. So I was just looking. Uh, PFF grade at corner over the last three years. He ranks 38th. Yeah. That's not great. Um, he has allowed the most yardage of all corners in the last three years. Come on, man. Stop being so negative. I'm not. I'm just, I'm just simply reading out some statistics. He also has the most interceptions of any corner there in the go. last three years. Tied, by the way, with Xavier Howard, who's also second in yardage allowed. So the, we're talking, these are some similar players. They're very similar. High variance, volatile, boomer bust type uh, corners. And actually, so Xavier Howard has 17 interceptions tied with Trayvon Diggs over the last three years, including the playoffs. Uh, he also has eight dropped picks. Diggs only has two of those. So Howard has been in position to pick off 25 passes over the last three years and has come up with 17 of them. He is Dig- ve- he's a very, Xavier Howard's very good at getting to the ball, for yes. sure. Diggs has been in position to pick off 19 and has picked off 17 of them. Um, Diggs might have the best hands of any corner in the NFL. I'll say that for him. Like, if the ball gets to his hands, he's probably coming up with it. And you can't say that about every corner in the league. Um, what was fascinating to me recently, we, we, had, we did this whole Trayvon Diggs dance way back when he had the 11 picks and the 1,000-yard season and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and you made the point that he would probably be a better corner the next year without anything like the number of interceptions, and that's exactly what happened. What I didn't realize until looking at it you know, relatively recently was quite how extreme those numbers were in terms of the picks. Like, he has 11 interceptions that one year. Crazy. And then he has three in each of the other years, which is not even – I mean, it's a, num- it's a nothing number, right? It's the, it's the number you expect most cornerbacks yeah, to you, come out of a season if with. you play 1,000 snaps, you'll – Right. It's, pr- it's a bad average, yeah. right? So it's not even like, you know, the, one of the, th- like that year, that one season with the 11 interceptions has like established his reputation as he's this ball hawk corner where if you test him, you got to be careful because the ball's going to get picked off. He's going to go get it. And he does that a lot, but it's not like it's happened in any of the other seasons. It's that one year. And then the other two seasons is like, yeah, okay. He might be dangerous, but it's only resulted in three picks the other two years. So how dangerous is it? Like, it might be dangerous. On the other hand, he gave up 760 yards this year and 650 the first year. So it's probably still worth taking a crack at him, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of nuance to all of this stuff. Thank you for, you know, putting that out there. When My, my statement's on the 11 interception season, right? Like, he'll, you know, he'll right. probably get better and he won't get as much publicity. Um, when we talk about level of play and value, again, there's a difference between, like, is the interception really valuable for the team? Yes, it's awesome for the team, but can you bank on that going forward? Obviously, the Cowboys could not. They could not go into the 2022 season last year and be like, well, we're, we know Diggs is going to get his eight picks, so we're good with that. They, he got three. Um, so next year, he'll probably revert back to six or seven if he stays healthy. Um, I think the things that are in his favor, Trevon Diggs, 
he's never really had a good cornerback opposite him in Dallas. Sure. It's been a revolving door of injuries and, and poor play. And now Stephon Gilmore is there. Um, but that also brings up some of the perspective. As I was digging through Diggs' numbers, like where does he succeed other than just saying he gets his hands on a lot of footballs, even if it was saturated in one season. Diggs does his best work in zone coverages and playing with his eyes on the football where he can go be a ball hawk and make plays. But when you look at him in man coverage, um, just going, including all off-the-ball assignment when he's not targeted and everything, he does allow separation he does he does get beaten uh at times so for perspective nfl corners when they're playing man the average grade is like in the 50s right it's not great it's a it's a challenging role and he's about 40 you know he's about average to below average in as in, in man coverage but new teammates stefan gilmore even though he's getting older grades in the 80s uh, over the last couple of years in man coverage, even even in his early 30s right so it just kind of shows this perspective it's it's not like Diggs is playing lockdown football uh and when you do like it's not Darrell Revis where it's lockdown at all times and by the way if you target him it's it's turning around the other way there is boomer bust to this Xavier Howard I think is the perfect comp yeah and in our 10 plus years at PFF when we get into discussions with fan bases or when we try to explain grades versus stats and everything the big ones are always sack totals right for linemen and then interception totals the things that are just a handful of plays over a year when we're focused on the hundreds or a thousand and Diggs is you know I think he's a good corner I think he's fine last year he was a top 25 most valuable corner I think he's fine Xavier um, Howard but I he think. might actually but my all that said he might be even better with Stefan Gilmore here where um, he might have you know be able to take even more chances corner is really tricky because those interceptions are worth so much but they're so incredibly luck driven or variance driven or you know fortune however you want to describe that it's not necessarily a controllable repeatable skill and there are very few corners in the nfl that can consistently <clears throat> year on year exceed the average number of interceptions right they, they don't tend to happen so Xavier Howard is another corner who, like Diggs, has had that one year where he had, like, double-digit picks, right? And we're like, wow, this is insane. Ten interceptions back in 2020. Never did that again. Uh, but unlike Diggs, he's had a couple of other seasons where he's had a seven-interception season in 2018. He had a five-pick season in 2021. Um, but he's also had two one-pick seasons. Last year, he only had two. Like, it's, it's a hugely variance driven type of thing but for him that shakes out to over the last three years he's had joint top so what's fascinating to me with Diggs is over his career so far he is the second worst cornerback in the NFL in yards per coverage snap allowed right one and a half yards per coverage snap so every single snap he's out there on a passing play the offense is effectively moving forward one and a half yards that's not great right but you look at passer rating allowed when targeted, and he's in the top 20, right? And that's a stat like EPA, which is driven massively by interceptions, which we know for Diggs is driven massively by one year. So to the, the real question for him in terms of will he justify this deal going forward is what does that baseline end up shaking out to be over that period of time? It's not even like generally, or is it even a, is it even a fair measure? It's simply in order for him to justify that, he needs to catch a high end of the variance at some point again. If he doesn't, if he goes like three, 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 
he won't justify that contract. I think it's okay to expect him to do that, though, because it's it's not only great. Well, and because the, the hands thing we mentioned earlier yeah, is real. Tr- I was like, going to say. He is a good receiver. He, he will catch right. the football if it's, if it's possible to do. It's just that his opportunities to do that is massively luck-driven. It's I, not in his control necessarily. That's why I was going to say the, the traits are there. Like That's where like, the traits aspect of it right. mattered. The same way when, when Xavier Howard came out and we described him, we're like, man, some plays he looks like Richard Sherman, other plays he looks like a bad Big 12 corner. But when you get the high end of variance from Xavier Howard, you have big seasons, and we've seen that. I do think we talk a lot from a team-building standpoint kind of chasing that high end of variance. We talk about if you're trying to win a Super Bowl, take chances and yeah. draft more quarterbacks and everything. I think there's something to the Dallas Cowboys investing in a corner that has a high end of variance. Now they have a Stephon Gilmore on the other side right. who could still cover. Diggs might get targeted a few more times. And I think it's okay for Dallas to say we have a good offense and we'll, we'll make up for the yards and points that we give up just to get the ball back a few extra times. I think it kind of makes sense for Dallas in where their team is over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think it's a gamble that makes sense. The other thing is, if he does catch another one of those years where he gets, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, whatever, interceptions, that's the kind of thing that can create, you know, the 2009 New Orleans Saints Super Bowl team where that was not a particularly good defense, and then that one year they led the NFL in turnovers, right? Like, if Diggs has a year where instead of three picks he gets 10 again, those seven picks can be the difference between this Dallas defense being good, which it already is, and being like absolutely dominant, right? It just it absolutely murders teams because it's get, it's turning the ball over more. That's the kind of variance that's I think worth, particularly for a team like Dallas that's in this world of like banging their head against this glass ceiling and not being able to take that next step. If they just catch that one good year from him, it's worth it, right? Even if it doesn't. Like, even if the five-year average ends up being a net negative or a net, you know, um, not worth the contract, the one year could end up producing a Super Bowl for them. So, I get it. I'm not, I'm not, even, I'm not even necessarily against it. I'm just trying to articulate the risk involved or the reality involved of what type of player he is. It's very different than giving that kind of money to a a Patrick Sertan type of corner who is, you know, a much more stable yeah. down-to-down corner, but probably is never going to have that kind of year that Diggs had. I, I think that's fair, man. <coughs> it, it reminds me a little bit of Stafford at quarterback, where with, with Stafford, I, I use the phrase all the time, in his era, he's barely top 10 because of all the other quarterbacks that were in his era. But if you catch the high end of Stafford, you know, there were three games a year where Stafford looked like right. the best quarterback in the league. And... They, you know, the Rams ran that into a championship. Corner. He, they hit the high end of Stafford variance and put him in the right position, and they win a Super Bowl with that. Trevon Diggs is similar to that, where if you're making your best cornerbacks list, I don't know if he cracks the top 10, and that's okay. There might be a season, though, where you get a bunch of interceptions and you wouldn't take many corners besides him because right. of what he brings in the turnover department. Because turnovers are so important and remain so important. Like, there's a difference between them being important and being something you can sort of deliberately try and focus on. Like, it, I, it's not necessarily, I think, bec- like, logically you would say, well, these are the most important plays in the game, so let's focus everything on making sure we can maximize these from a defensive point of view. I don't think it necessarily holds that you can do that. But 
corner might be the one position outside of quarterback where you can bet on the streak. Like the, the Rams did that with Stafford. They already had a good team. They were like, we bring in Stafford because if he catches that streak at the right time, which is basically what happened. Like, let's remember that season, as, as crazy as Stafford's numbers were, he wasn't playing that great, and then he played better in the playoffs, and that's what won them the ring. The and if he didn't high do that, end of variance, man. Right. You, you're chasing that high end. If he end. just played at the same level as he played in the regular season, they probably don't win that championship. But they bet on the streak. They were like, we bring in Stafford because if he catches that streak at the right time, we're unstoppable. Corner might be the only other position in the NFL where I think it makes some sense to take that bet. Like, this guy, he's massively high variance, he's volatile, he's boom or bust, but if you catch the streak, our defense jumps 10 spots higher in, like, defensive rankings because all those numbers that everyone was using to defend Diggs or to pump him up during that season, the EPA per play, the, you know, EPA when targeted, all those kinds of things, they all skyrocket when you get five more interceptions. So if you take a gamble that this guy has the traits to have a 10-pick season, let's, yeah. let's roll the dice on that. The people who are throwing EPA per target or whatever they were throwing at us, that is like, that's being fake smart. I mean, it's all that's the same being number. fake smart. There's, too much, like, there's a lot of people, maybe even in football Twitter right now, I think are fake smart. Just because you used a new stat... And it's like, okay, that stat is completely dependent on the court. The receiver dropped the ball into Diggs' hands, Leonard Fournette, right? This happened to be a terrible throw that was right at you. It's a, it's a, it's a stat in all cornerback production metrics are stats that are dependent on bad offense for a lot of the time. Or they get skewed heavily by bad offense. I don't mind people bringing it up, right? What I mind is people, like you have this thing, you've mentioned it for years, the idea of double counting. Yeah. Like, count it once, make the point, that's fine, but you can't double count it or triple count it. Like, people come up with five different numbers to say, well, look at his coverage. It's all the same number, right? It's essentially passer rating into his coverage, which is EPA adjusted for situation. It's all driven. The entire thing is simply number of interceptions. That's oh, yeah. the number. And, and by the way, you've said this a lot. Like, EPA is just uh, passer rating using right whatever some waiting it does passer rating misses sacks right sure. so that's so that's the big thing like epa is a little it's it's smarter than passer yeah, rating yeah. but for a corner right it's it doesn't matter number. there are no sacks when you're targeting a corner so every one of these numbers is just the number of interceptions he had projected out over a statistical landscape passer right? rating is fine for a corner because you don't need to right. account for sacks and it's probably in the ballpark so when it comes to games if you're showing a table right and you know those sort of side-by-side tables where it's like bold or in green when a guy's better and like the three ways he's better are interceptions passer rating allowed and epa when targeted it's all the same number same that's once one you get one in your plus column not three it's the same data point so you're not is, you're not fake smart right? you're real smart and that data point is fine <laughs> it's valid right like there is absolutely a legitimate argument to say he gave up a thousand yards and that is offset by the fact that he picked the bass off 11 times like that ends up being more valuable to your team than a dude who gave up 400 and never got his hands on the football that's a completely valid argument to have right the counter to that is obviously yeah but this guy's thing is more repeatable like you can do that's that it. every year you can't necessarily do that every year and that's where and that that is a like a legitimate debate as to yeah but we 
if we get it in the one year and that's the the good year, we win a championship and that's all we're chasing. So that's, it's fine. Like that is a legitimate argument and discussion to have, but you need to understand what the argument is. You can't simply say, yeah, but like 15 different ways he wins when it's all hinged off that one data point, which is luck driven. Yeah, even if you're looking at the interceptions, we're not saying would you rather have this or that? We're saying, what are the leading indicators for those 11 interceptions? And can you ever actually predict those right. again? Do you want to get in on the fantasy action but sick of managing your roster? Sick of player injuries ending your season? Well, with Best Ball on DraftKings, you get the best of your team all season long. This year, Best Ball on DraftKings is bigger than ever with $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes up for grabs. For a limited time, you could join DraftKings' largest best ball contest ever and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is finished. Act now before this offer expires. You can start playing best ball. Download the DraftKings app using the code PFF. Enter the DraftKings Best Ball Millionaire Contest and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers. No ads, no drops, no trades. No, I should have played him instead. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head to the DraftKings app right now. Sign up with the code PFF and start playing best ball today. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament, and you'll get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars only on DraftKings with the code PFF. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued as 10 DK dollars. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. Ends August 9th, 2023. All right, what else do we have here? Uh, Tackles. Andrew Thomas? Andrew Thomas and Titus Howard. Mm. Both signing today. Andrew Thomas, of course, a bigger name. Um, he's going to sign a five-year, $117 million extension to go on top of he's heading into year four his fifth year option but they're extending him another five years so he'll be in new york for at least another seven seasons according to this contract yeah (laughs) andrew thomas what a story we've talked about him a ton here right uh number four overall pick 2020 draft dave gettleman his players like the players that dave gettleman Signed, ironically probably probably contributed to dave gettleman being fired and then ends up being maybe his best pick well, his last three first-round picks, um, Andrew, uh, Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, and Andrew Thomas. He all... drafted Saquon as well, right? So Saquon in the same year as... Can I finish my sentence? Sorry. His last three first-round picks... Correct, they were his last three. ...have all been extended. Yes. Well, now, his fourth, four. the fourth one, Saquon Barkley, was not really extended. I mean, is that technically an extension? He wasn't under Throwing a million yet. dollars on top of his franchise tag? Not no. even necessarily. He wasn't even... Not no, but he hadn't signed the franchise tag, so technically he wasn't under contract. Therefore, it, has, it is they, an extension. How about a long-term extension? Three long-term okay, extensions go, go. Gotcha. and three picks. Uh, the 2020 tackle class, uh, Andrew Thomas, uh, Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, but even Mackay Becton... And one other. Missing someone else. Worfs, Thomas, Jedrick Wills, Mackay Becton. Right? Wasn't there another one? Yeah. Uh, Austin. Oh, he doesn't count. Those were the big four. It's just the big four, right? There and then the fifth the yeah, other the, one. <laughs> the Dolphins guy should never have been right. in the first round. It wasn't the fifth good one, right? It was just those. Yeah, there was, the debate was about those four. Some guys had, some people had Mackay Becton, number yeah. one, Tristan Worfs, Jedrick Wills. Uh, we did have Andrew Thomas number one, I think, on our tackle board. We did, yeah. Um, but even so, the Gettleman thing again. Like, 
Daniel Jones, a new regime, has determined that he's the future of some description, given him that four-year contract, right? So you, it's hard to crap on that too much as a draft pick. Dexter Lawrence looks like one of the best interior defenders in the NFL right now. Um, Andrew Thomas now looks like one of the best left tackles in the NFL right now. And you've got Saquon, who people were out here forming like a union for because he was so criminally under-respected by the franchise tag as an offer. Maybe maybe Gettleman didn't do too bad. <laughs> I mean, the the issue with Gettleman was less about player selection and more about process and, you know, picking the running back at two was a big one. But, yeah, you're right. Maybe he did take a little bit too but much even then, when it comes to the player selection. Even then, the alternative was, you know, Sam Darnold. I get it. Or Josh Allen. Yeah. Depends on, depends yeah, on which way you too. go. Anyway, Andrew Thomas uh, started his career with uh, just a rough stretch, really the first – seven or eight weeks of the season had a 62 grade as a rookie jumped up to 79 in his second year last year 90 grade and as our friend Adam Schefter tweeted the most valuable Mm. offensive tackle in the NFL last year using PFF war tweeted out the uh, grades over the last two years it's uh, Trent Williams in his own ballpark with a 96 plus grade but Andrew Thomas number two highest grade among all tackles over the last two seasons so he has become one of the most dependable one of the better pass blockers and the thing I always liked about him coming out of Georgia I think uh, scheme diverse when it comes to the run game and he's just been um, I I thought he was the most the best all-around tackle coming out Tristan Wirfs has been right up there with him if not maybe a tick better over the three years but Thomas establishing himself as one of the best tackles in the league and getting paid for it yeah I mean Thomas has been fantastic I think it's a really good player to lock up long term um that that's an interesting contract, like the length of that for him to to, to agree to that uh, number of years to be locked down is pretty intriguing. But um, still, just twenty four years old. Yeah. So you know, but that's gonna he basically misses out on that next you know the sec the third contract of huge money. Like he'll maybe get one if he's still kind of playing at an amazing level at that point, which is happening more and more. You know, thirty two or whatever is not. Like offensive tackles are still playing very well at that level. You can still get a good contract at that point. But the difference, I think, between hitting the open market again as a free agent at 30 versus 32 is probably still pretty significant for a tackle. But anyway, he's voluntarily left that on the table and has signed for this big extension. But you know, he's become, I think, one of the best tackles in the NFL. His footwork is insane. His movement skills are incredible. He's got amazing strength. Like he's pretty much as good as it gets right now. So great deal for the Giants and a great validation like a culmination of the arc for for Andrew Thomas himself where you know we were pushing for him to be the top tackle in that draft a lot of people liked other people he goes as the first tackle and then midway through that first year people are ridiculing that draft pick they're like this is ridiculous Wirfs is over here looking like a star like all the other guys doing well and he looks like crap because they rebuilt his pass sets on the fly like during that rookie year and then he's just gotten better every single season and now looks as good as it gets um just for some other perspective here the other tackles making over 20 million dollars a year uh trent williams well worth it he's the best tackle in the nfl then you have guys like david bakhtiari who's been battling injuries these last couple years you have laramie tunsil who the pff grades really like from a pass blocking standpoint not as much from a run blocking standpoint so there's a little bit of a disconnect in that skill set i think tunzel's a top three to five pass blocker though um, and then lane johnson uh, who's when healthy one of the best all-around tackles and then Jawan taylor jumped up into that mix 
this offseason with the Chiefs, similar to what I just 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 described with Tunsil, maybe more of a pass blocker than a run blocker from a production standpoint. But I think Thomas is right up there, again, the same thing he showed at Georgia, as far as the balance between you trust him in pass protection, versatility in the run game. Uh, he doesn't have the uh, one-sided grading profile that some of the other right. tackles have. So I think, I think Thomas is poised to be the you know one of the better all-around tackles in the league. Thomas and Christian Darasaw remind me of each other a little bit in terms of I think they're both very balanced and they're both incredibly nimble, good footwork. They have that mix of athleticism, movement skills, and strength with some you know with technique in there as well. That means that they're good at everything right now. And, you know, Thomas is a little bit ahead of Darisaw in terms of that development and that arc and the consistency. But, like, those two guys might be the next two really good all-round offensive tackles. All right, so the other deal was was Titus Howard. Slightly different story for Titus Howard, but it's a, a common one for offensive linemen. He was a first-round pick for the Texans. He had a slow start to his career, but not just his first half season, basically his first two to three seasons. Moved around, played some guard. But he gets a three-year, $56 million deal for the Texans, but he's coming off of his best year, which was the fourth year of his career. This is something we, we do see. So he's not making Andrew Thomas money or anything like that, but he's making starting tackle money, mm-hmm. similar to, say, an Andre, Andre Dillard. It's a little bit more than an Andre Dillard got with, with the Eagles. Starting tackle money for, for Titus Howard. And again, using PFF War, he was a top 32 tackle last year. He's a, he was a starting caliber tackle last year. But it took him four years to get there. So you're paying him now for what he's going to do in the future, probably be a league average to slightly above average tackle, which, um, you know, the going rate for that is is pretty high. But critically, he's always been a better pass blocker than a run blocker. And if you're the Houston Texans right now and you're focused on, okay, we just put all our eggs in this C.J. Stroud basket. How do we make sure that he's as good as humanly possible? You want to lock up guaranteed commodities when it comes to pass blocking and keeping him upright. You also are pivoting to this offense, you know, under PFF Bobby, who's no longer dead to us, by the way. He replied. He did. Yeah. Um, Doesn't mean he's going to be on the show anytime soon. No. But uh, maybe. We, you know what? So he, he countered our offer. I don't even care if I'm betraying confidences right now. We were like, how do we get you on the podcast? You know, now you got to do media and stuff. He was like, I tell you what, if I ever somehow become a head coach, you know, then I'll come on. Like, well, all right, fine. We need to kind of make sure that we're the first place he got to be on. first. We yeah. can't be like, all right, now I'm a head coach. Sit tight while I do 50. Like, got to talk to ESPN for He'll a while. He'll be on McAfee right. first and all that. Yeah, yeah, we got to make sure that we're the, like the, the initial exclusive. Anyway. Right. You're pivoting to this new offense, PFF Bodyby, which we know helps the run-blocking performance of off- – it helps the performance period of offensive linemen, but it should help the run-blocking stuff as well. So Right-tackle-friendly like, system even. Yeah. Yeah. Let's focus on the pass-blocking. Like We know he's okay. He's solid at that. He's pretty good at that. Run-blocking has been an issue outside of last year. We think that will get better anyway within this offense, as will probably the pass-blocking. So, I mean, it makes sense. Like I think – Locking up that offensive line for Houston is big, knowing what they have you know, invested in C.J. Stroud. So that's what they've done this offseason. They, they extended Laramie Tunsil at left tackle, Shaq Mason. They got him from the Tampa Bay Bucks, and they've extended him for a couple of years. So now you have three-fifths of the offensive line uh, locked up for the f- next four years, basically, yeah. in Houston. The other two spots, you have year two of Kenyon Green. He had a, a rough rookie season, but he was a first-round pick. And again, we know sometimes it takes time 
for the offensive lineman. Juice Scruggs, a rookie center, you know, projected to be the starter right now. Kind of reminds me of what they had in Kansas City. Will there be you know a couple a couple big investments and then young players sprinkled in? It's a nice mix in Houston with three long-term deals out of their five offensive line spots. So um, I, I think when when you look at Titus Howard, you look at the career grades. They've gotten better, and I think the interpretation there is you. It, when a guy takes that jump in year four, I think you could say, all right, this is kind of – I think it's fair to expect that baseline more than reverting back to what he was as a rookie or in, or in his second year. And last year he was a high 60s-graded player. If that jumps up into the low 70s and he's making $14 million a year, you know, I think that's – what is it, $16, $18 million, million a year? I mean, it's all – that's the going rate for, for yeah. starting tackles. So, no, I mean, I think it's good moves across the board for Houston. All right. Any other? Oh, we got to talk about this big news. Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham is back. Yeah. With the Saints for a one year deal, not a yeah. one day deal. Yeah. Everybody thought it was a one day deal. You saw that he's him. back, yeah. tweets, and everyone's like, oh, look, Jimmy Graham signing for his one day retirement deal. No, he's, he's apparently playing this year, or at least, you know. Wants to give it a shot. Yeah, it's interesting. Back to the Saints. Yeah. Haven't seen him since uh, since 2021 with the Bears. Only played 274 snaps. I will say, I mean, the last the last time Jimmy Graham graded well Ooh. was 2016. You could say 2017 with the Seahawks. He had a couple years with the Packers grading below 60. He has not graded, I mean, he has not had a full season grading above 65 since 2017 with Seattle mm. and that was and that was a drop off from where he was basically the rest of his career with the Saints the one thing I will say though with Graham with a guy like like a big tight end like a Graham or like what we saw with Gronk you see them lose a step but Gronk sat out a year came back took him a little time to get his legs under him but then the explosiveness reverted back a little bit if you could get that, maybe the year of rest helps a little bit <laughs> with Graham. Because why, like, why do guys regress? They lose a step. They lose explosiveness. They lose some of it. Perhaps the year of rest. And, if, and here's the other thing. Could you just use him as a red zone weapon? You know, well, how, Jimmy Graham, at this point in his career, who cares if he becomes a, you know, a three-down player or doesn't be a 90-catch guy? What if he's just a red zone player? I mean, you know, it'll, it, that's what that, I'm just interested to see if he has anything left, if he's got a little bit of explosiveness back, because you could see him losing steps as he got older. Yeah. And does he become just a specialist for the Saints? Because he does have great ball skills and size. That's what we thought would happen, and it, it didn't. Like, we thought, you know, oh, minimum, you're still going to be this phenomenal red zone target late in the career. I know. And he hasn't been. Honestly, I, I, I'm looking now. I can't find anything that even hints at how much money is involved and specifically how much guaranteed money is involved because I think there's probably a better chance absent any information of the contract whatsoever I would say right now there's a better chance he doesn't make the 53 than there is he has any kind of meaningful contribution this season now if probably. it turns out yeah. if it turns out he actually signed a 7 million dollar deal and five of it's guaranteed I might adjust that expectation a little bit but Everything out there at the moment simply says a one-year contract with no information whatsoever as to the financials. So, well, they have I'm still saying there's no chance. You have Jawan Johnson, a tight end who just had a breakout season last year. You have Foster Moreau, who they brought in this offseason. You have Taysom Hill, if you want to call him 
potentially a tight end for the Saints. Jesse James is on the roster. Okay, so those top three, though, Jawan Johnson, Foster Moreau, and whatever Taysom Hill is, those are the guys that are potentially keeping him off the roster. You might keep Jimmy Graham as a tight end three, tight end four, and chuck up some jump jump balls. I don't know. Is that worth a roster spot? Potentially. I yeah, like I say, I I don't think it'll happen. We don't need to spend too much time on it, but it was it's fun. fine kicking the tires on him. Like let's of see course. what he has in camp. But um, at the moment, I'm working on the basis that I don't necessarily anticipate him getting out of training camp. All right, and then we wanted to do a section on. Uh... Well, let's, so quickly, let's just put a bow on the Saquon Barkley thing because he signed since we last talked about this, he which did. was Monday. Um, and I think the only thing to say about it really is it just illustrates how little like leverage running backs had that he signed for basically nothing additionally on the franchise tag yeah. like the franchise tag is an insult to me good sir you know slap him across the face with the glove and it's like well what if we moved two million of the money to a signing bonus so you get it now instead of in a month and we'll give you nine hundred thousand dollars in incentives which uh, there seems to be conflicting information on these are the like the incentives are tied to like 1300 yards 10 touchdowns whatever it was are they also tied to them making the playoffs like they need so. both to happen i don't know because there's not that many incentives if it's, it's only up to a million dollars right yes so potentially there was one report that said it was tied to the playoffs. yeah right one report said it was like thir- one incentive for 1300 yards one for 10 touchdowns one for 65 catches or something um and then the other report was they're tied to the giants making the playoffs now i don't know if that's two separate pieces of information only one of which is true or if that's those combined are the incentive like in order to make the 900k he needs to do those three things and the giants make the playoffs of which point i would say there's very minimal chance of him making that money anyway point being he got almost nothing out of this and it's not like he didn't give up something because he has to show up the camp now instead of in like showing up to week one game in a month's time like he like just <laughs> whatever negotiation there was he lost and lost hard so this running back union the let's go on strike let's get the more like it's not going to happen they have no leverage they will continue to get screwed until something systemic changes down the line if indeed that ever happens that's my only thought did you guys come that. up with any good answers i didn't get to listen to all of the running back content you guys were churning out there not really i mean the only the only suggestion I've seen that makes any sense whatsoever is, to me, the fundamental problem is running backs peak at a younger age than any other position, right? So the issue is by the time they reach this second contract in the NFL, they may already be declining in a way that simply isn't true for every other position, right? But that means that a lot of their peak is being spent playing essentially for free in the college landscape. Now, some of that's being fixed by NIL, which I think is actually potentially the biggest non-intended fix to all of this is, look, they're getting paid now at the college level. Just leave them there. Like, don't rush to the NFL where you're going to grind out. Like, stay in, stay as the superstar for South Carolina and earn a ton of money a year in NIL. Like, don't worry about it. But why are you going to call out Marcus Lattimore like that? Oh, it wasn't. That's it was sad. just the first school that came to my mind. Anyway... If you're going to fix anything, running backs peak earlier, so let them come to the NFL earlier. Like, why did Adrian Peterson have to spend three years at Oklahoma? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree with that. That would be cool. That would be interesting to see. But anything else requires a, like, position-specific carve-out, which I just don't think is ever going to happen at the CBA level because 
the NFLPA can argue for it. I, like, look, I made the point a couple shows ago. They, the NFLPA has not made their focus salaries. They've made it health. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying that's where the CBA focus has been. It has not been maximizing every dollar. It has not been overhauling the franchise tag and saving the rush linebackers from being called linebackers. And all, you know, they have not tried to maximize every dollar through the CBA. But it's because they've can't. tried to re, they've tried to redistribute the income a little bit. Yeah. And but I think they also ran into all sorts of unintended consequences. They wanted to make the veterans get paid more and cut the rookie salaries and all the NFL started doing is saying, okay, eight-year veteran, I don't want to pay you more. I can get a rookie to do this right. better. So they just, they, I don't think they do a great job of having foresight when it comes to finances as I mean, far as the NFLPA goes. I made this and, point, and it also hasn't been their main focus. Yeah, I made this point on Monday. I think that they, they're just in too difficult a situation. Like the reason it looks like the NFLPA loses every negotiation with the NFL is because the NFL has a very easy position. It's like we have 32 people we're representing and all of them more or less are in exactly the same situation. So we can all align on like the five things we want in the correct order and simply negotiate that, right? The NFLPA is sitting here. Number one, we've got thousands of people that we're supposedly uh, inv- er, representing and that results in hundreds of different like wants and requirements and needs and blah, blah, blah. So that list for the NFL, which is like number one, two, three, four, five in order, is like 700 things long for the NFLPA, and they can't agree on the order because there's so many different like interests pulling it one way or the other. So they get to the table and just get railroaded because like it's easier for the NFL. So that's why I just can't ever see, oh, running backs are getting screwed. Great. Take a number. We'll get to you later. Like It's just not going to happen. Oh, yeah. The NFLPA is not going to take up the running back's cause. Um, and again, just I think to reiterate how we got here, I think there's a lot of reasons, but I, I don't think that the NFL just recently became a quarterback-driven league. They've always been a quarterback-driven league. And then in the last 10 to 15 years, they've also made it much easier to pass. So they've made it uh, less desirable to run through rule changes. So the league, I, there was a reason why Joe Montana won a ton of Super Bowls. There's a reason why a lot of the best quarterbacks of all time won a bunch of Super Bowls or won a lot of games. It's always been a QB-driven league, even if Emmett Smith was getting 30 handoffs a game in Dallas. But it's become even more of a QB-driven game, but more importantly, just more of a passing game. So it is less desirable to hand the ball off 20 to 25 times to a running back, in part, I think half because the league is smarter from a X's and O's standpoint. They realize passing is better. But then the league, the NFL made it so that passing was that much more valuable. So they've expanded the difference between passing and running. So that's wh- that's why we're here. That's why there's no there's no like answer to this. It's not just oh we pay running backs more. What you just can't. Like the everything's working against them at this point. Yeah. The NIL thing is interesting because yeah, they're not making NFL type money. But remember a few years ago everybody said get to the NFL as soon as possible so you can get to the second contract. Right. And now you're not in a rush to get to the second contract. You might be in a rush to just get to a rookie contract because it's better than NIL. Yeah. But still, you're not rushing to the NFL. So I want to know if players are going to – and running backs are valuable in college. Yeah. Right? They're very valuable in college. Like if B. John Robinson went back to Texas this year, he might be the difference between them winning a national title or not. He was that good, is that good, 
and they're that valuable at the NFL at the college level. And also, by the way, like NIL is only just getting started. Like they're some of the money being talked about, and that's a little bit, you know, under a veil still. It's not necessarily all public and all that kind of stuff. But you're hearing like guys like Arch Manning are already worth like five plus million a year in NIL money. And that dude's sitting on a bench somewhere. Like yeah. he's not even playing. So and there are a lot of teams or a lot of running backs on teams in cities that do not have NFL teams. Like you're not competing for the endorsement dollars with proven NFL commodities or NFL superstars. You have your market, whatever it is, and it can be a pretty big market sometimes to yourself effectively. So I think there's a lot of capacity for these guys to earn a lot of money via NIL. And there's definitely a point where if you're a running back, you're going to be looking at this and saying, why would I come out now? Like, what is the extra year in the NFL doing for me? It's not earning me more money early, and it's not necessarily earning me more money ever because we're not seeing these second contracts. So I'm just going to stay here and earn money. That might be the answer, though, because fantasy football is still huge. Running backs are still a huge part of fantasy football. It might be you're going you're gonna to make your money through other avenues, right. through, through more endorsements and, and pushing that a little bit further than maybe the NFL component. I don't know. Um, either way, I think I think there's an overreaction to like kids don't let your you know, parents don't let your kids play running back. And you know if you're a college player, do you choose this position versus that? I, we focus so much on like the top end of the market. There's still plenty of money to be made relative to not playing professional football. There's still college scholarships. There's NIL. Like there's still all, all these other opportunities. It's the guys that are in the NFL that are stars relative to their position, though, that are getting screwed out of oh, um, the money relative to other position groups. Basically, the biggest group that got screwed are the guys that showed up before NIL existed and didn't reach the level of success in the NFL to make the big second-year contract. Like Philip Lindsay is held up as you know the poster child of a dude that got hosed. That guy made no money in college, um, and then was an undrafted free agent, so didn't make anything on his rookie contract, had you know back-to-back years of 1,000 yards in the NFL, like shocked people, and then the league decided he couldn't play anymore and basically ran him out. So he's made a total of like, you know, a million or $2 million, I forget what the number is, like $2 million, let's say, for his success, which like he was a star for a brief period of time, but that guy made almost nothing, right? That, in terms of getting screwed relative to, like, Saquon Barkley, who just, you know, signed a $10 million deal for this year, it's not even in the same ballpark. And now the next Saquon Barkley will have done that having gone through an NIL run of college career where he was getting paid as well. It's a very narrow band of guys who really got hosed. Everyone else, we're just in a world where you're earning a little bit less money now. And some of the money's going to corners and wide receivers and quarterbacks and, like— yeah, is Austin Eckler underpaid relative to what he does on an NFL field? Probably. Um, like on a personal level, is he still getting paid? Like, do I feel sorry for Austin Eckler? Not really. Like the dude is getting paid yeah. a lot of money. Already. Everything we're talking about is relative to. Like, other I feel NFL more players. sorry for James Robinson than I do for Saquon Barkley on yeah. the same team. Saquon's a better player, but James Robinson had a thousand-yard season out of nowhere as an undrafted free agent, and again has never like hit the big payday yet. I'm wondering what kind of when we talk about leverage for the running backs, which doesn't exist. I'm just this is coming to my mind right now. So if it's stupid, do they do running backs get to the point where they actually don't want the ball, where they actually start not negotiating directly, but you're encouraging 
split backfields. You you want to just be a 15 carry guy. Like what's what how, is Nick Chubb incentivized to ask for 20 to 25 carries? No, because at some point the the answer is not going to be like, you've been great on 25 carries, therefore you'll do it again. It's going to be you've got too much wear and tear. We're not going to pay you. So they might be best off chasing longevity more than big paydays. Their leverage, if they want to create one as a as a running backs union, right, as this Zoom call, whatever it is. So it's never going to happen from the contract point of view because there's a James Robinson waiting to take your spot, right? And you yeah. can't even you can't criticize that guy for taking it because he's never had the payday yet, right? Like, how can you, as a Saquon Barkley, reasonably expect James Robinson with his career earnings to say, no, sorry, I'm not going to take this offer because my guy Saquon deserves 10 more million dollars. Like, that's never going to happen. So what I think could potentially happen is, as a group, running backs decide, you know what, we're not playing through things anymore. Dalvin Cook going through his whole, like, year with a separated shoulder, as soon as that happens, I'm getting surgery or I'm, yeah. like, sitting down. Like, I'm not running into a pile again with a broken shoulder. Forget it. And, you know, the next, like, quad strain or hamstring tear, whatever it is, running backs, all of a sudden, you start to see how injured those guys are getting. Save the wear and tear, yeah. And now you got to yeah. carry two more of them on the roster or whatever because they're going to sit down the second they get a, a ding in a game. That, I think, is one potential area where they could actually create some leverage is That's if what- they decide – we are no longer playing through things for you because you're not giving us money to, to, as compensation. That's what I'm wondering. If, if the play there for running backs is to chase longevity more so than you know, be Frank Gore. Just be, right. be you know, kicking around for, for years. And then in turn, your fellow running back brethren are kicking around for years. And yeah, kind of like force the team's hand and say, look, we... We get beat. You got to carry four or five of us. Right. You need us around. You can't just kick me to the curb. Because that's an area where you could actually highlight the problems or offset the problems of how easily replaceable they are. Like that's fine in theory, but what if you have to do that seven times in the season? Because every single one of them, as soon as they get, you know, a contusion, is going to yeah. go. Sorry, I'm out three weeks, and now you got to now you got to train up the next guy and make sure he knows all the plays and the protections and blah blah blah. That's when they stop becoming as easily replaceable as you think they are, when you only have a week to get it done because three of them just found themselves to have an injury. I, I have no idea if anyone... I, I try not to listen to other opinions as much as possible just so I can keep my own without stealing them. I have no idea if other people have brought that up. All I see is like the stuff that does show up on social media that's like, running backs are getting screwed, they're worth way more, and it's like, well, you can't actually justify it. I've yeah. even seen people say, use numbers to justify the running back in the, in the, you know, in the inverse. Right to, you know, hey, running backs, get together and show the numbers and stuff. But I, I don't think that's going to work in their favor. There's too many numbers working the other way. Yeah, I mean that. So when it, we're pointing to wins or just you know where where rushing yards come from, I think there's just too much working against running backs to actually make a good yeah, like data driven. Timo argument. has made that point that you know some people have said, well, if you get rid of the salary cap, like the salary cap, it's un-American. What are we doing here? Like running backs should get paid as much as you can pay them. He could have made the point of, like, that's not – like, running backs are not going to make out better if you remove the cap. Like, they might get paid more No, you generally five offensive linemen $20 million right. before you pay one running back exactly. $20 million. But they're, gonna get, they're certainly going to get paid a lot less relative to a lot of other positions. Maybe, maybe the net result for running backs ends up being better because everybody gets more money. But, like, you're not fixing that underlying problem of running backs right now are just seeing a diminishing – 
sense of value from NFL teams. So yeah, we got into it a little bit. Yeah, we did well avoiding that. Well, I've you know I've been traveling, I've been on the go, and I didn't get to come up with some points here. <laughs> All right, now do you want to do year two breakouts? Yeah. Uh huh. Where'd this come from? Yeah, it's just the thing you do every year. Who's gonna break out? We just did breakout players like a month ago. It's fantasy, Steve. Fantasy season, Steve. People are focusing on who's gonna be better this year than last year. Oh, are these just fantasy no. players? We're no, 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 no. Oh, okay, because we don't do that in this show. No, but I'm just saying. It's fantasy season, so it's the kind of thing people are focusing on. Oh, can I? Also, by the way, with your buying into all the training camp hype thing, I saw a quick clip yesterday, and it's like it reminded me how much I loved one of these guys a year ago. So, of course, he's going to be great this year. Because the hype. Yeah. Well, because that three-second video I saw, which, by the way, wasn't even him as the focus of it. It was in the background. Those are the best ones. Can I just – I'm just going to do a terrible quick segment here that people are going to not care about. But Great. I'm losing a source of income. Oh, yeah? The experts dynasty league uh-huh. is no longer really. Yeah, you 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 retired the league. You your victory streak was so strong that they simply abandoned the the concept. That's it. That's it. I didn't win it last year, but I did make it the final four. That was my worst season out of seven. <laughs> I won four out of the seven years. Yeah, finals in two. Uh huh. Made money every year. Yeah, I, this is like. My kids probably won't get Christmas presents this year. Right. Because I, you know, expect that payout at the end of the year. It's kind of this, we know it's coming, you know. Budgeted for it, yeah. It's, 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 it's all budgeted for. And right. now it's gone. Huh. How come? I don't know. They you just stopped. You ask questions? They just stopped. So in my head, when I hear, like, I got all these college players on the roster. I got all these players that I'm rooting for that I'm not rooting for anymore. Right. But uh, end of an era. And uh, the experts dynasty league, of which all the experts ended up leaving anyway. Right. They all just left. They're like, I can't was, do this league anymore. It was anymore. getting harder and harder to say that with a straight face when you read the participation list over the last few it years. It became a PFF uh, league, basically. No offense to our PFF guy. I'm just saying, like, the industry leaders from all these other websites ended up leaving. Uh, shout out to uh, our fantasy buddy, Ian Hartitz, by the way. I've stolen his uh, mug that he left in the building nice. when he left here. I stole Eric's. Yeah. It's great. Well, I was sitting upstairs for like two years, so I decided I was going to use it for coffee today. Kelly lost mine, so uh-huh. having Eric crossed Eric's name off and replaced it with mine. Anyway, <laughs> year two breakouts. Yeah. Let's do it. What do so, you got here? There was a video yesterday from Kansas City Chiefs training camp, and it was like a one-on-one rep of offensive linemen and defensive linemen, but in the background, in the background was Sky Moore wrecking some guy on a release. I'm like, see, that's why he should have been good last year. That's why I was buying in to Sky Moore being able to hit the ground running at the NFL level and play outside because of releases like that. So now it's this year. This year it's going to happen. Look, there was something, I don't know why, didn't happen last year. There was some, you know, he wasn't necessarily on the same page as Mahomes all the time. Now he's had a year to get on the same page. Now we're going to see Sky Moore break out. And by the way, Juju's left now, so he can't take all his targets. Now it's Sky Moore's Kadarius Tony just had a little Kadarius Tony's always going to have a knee injury. He's not going to be the superstar people think he's going to be. What do you think, it's Doctor? Sky what's Moore's a little season. What's a little cartilage cleanup in late July? What's that look I don't like? Not much. Just a couple of weeks. But the point is, you're going to get the next one of the. Like he's always going to have one of those. He's one of these guys, right? Every three weeks, you're going to have some form of I feel knee like problem. We're early. In, I feel like I could use a little cartilage cleanup for the knee to get ready for the season. Probably could probably use a little. If they scope? Is it still sco- a knee scope? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Use a little scope here, a little cleanup. Get it tidied up. Yeah. I mean, look, the amount of force that's getting put through your knees on a regular basis has got to be something wrong with it. It's not good. I've got, man, I don't know. My whole body's falling (laughs) apart. I've got fat (laughs) knees now. Came to that realization. I'm a fat (laughs) knee person. 
<laughs> Something's got to change here. You'll see. You've only been 41 for two days, but you'll see. I don't have enough weight on me, and I'm putting it on, but I don't yeah, have enough on me to, to create fat knees. You'll notice There's not enough things. force being put through my knees on a, on a step-by-step basis. You'll notice other things. Uh, I'm just going to list a lot of the breakouts we had from the other show. Isaiah Likely. Well, that's good content. <laughs> like, who were the year two breakouts? Well, okay. I got some other ones. I, I had ones. Sky Moore. That's my number one. Oh, you get right? all yours. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw the video, therefore it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I've decided that within the Saints offense, the guy that's going to see the jump is not Chris Olave. It's Rashid Shahid. Ooh. And not just because his name's more fun to say. But I don't – so if Michael Thomas comes back and is anything this year, and who the hell knows if that's actually going to be a it's thing. A full go at camp. Right. We talked to our guy Vic, the medical expert, and he's worried about, you know, Michael Thomas and expecting anything from him. But if he creates any form of presence in that offense over the season – I don't see where the targets go to get Chris Olave a bigger season than he had last year. But I can see an increased role for Shahid, which was already happening once they realized like, what they had in him last year. Like His workload scaled up over the course of the season. I can absolutely believe them going into the season going, all right, this is the role for Michael Thomas. This is the role for Chris Olave. Now let's make sure we're getting enough out of Shahid. And he's the guy whose uh, production is going to get inflated. Shahid was an awesome deep threat last year for the Saints with Andy Dalton right. under center. The Derek Carr stories that we've been telling over the last couple of years was they drafted Henry Ruggs, tried to get him throwing the ball down the field. Ruggs' first season, it was actually Zay Jones, who became, I'm sorry, it was Nelson Aguilar who became the deep threat for Carr and the Raiders, and then Ruggs kind of took over before his right. uh, horrible incident. But Carr certainly works better with that one take-the-top-off-the-defense type of guy that you're featuring, so that could... Certainly work out well. All right. Number three for me, Bernard Ryman, the offensive tackle for the Colts. Nice. Um, I, he played pretty well last year. Had one of the worst debuts I've ever seen from anybody at any position. Um, and then almost immediately kind of got it back on track. And it kind of flew under the radar because the line itself didn't necessarily improve. Um, but I think given what Ryman showed and given how young he still is to playing football, I think you can actually expect him to be good this year as yeah. a left tackle so I'm kind of excited by him Trent McDuffie as the corner we're going to focus on um, you know all the other young guys whether it's Tariq Woolen taking the step forward to join Sauce Gardner as one of the best whether it's Derek Stingley McDuffie's season was another one I think that flew under the radar because he got hurt early missed a lot of time got concussed like missed some more time but from day one they were actually giving him pretty difficult assignments like out on his own on an island in man coverage he played pretty well over the course of it you know had his run through to the Super Bowl I think in year two he could be a guy that actually shows you that he belonged in that discussion with Sauce and with Stingley at the top of that draft and then the fifth guy the most obvious one for me N'Kobe Dean TJ Edwards out N'Kobe Dean in like no drop off we're gonna see N'Kobe Dean he's gonna be there he's gonna be playing football yes so that's uh, no. Those are good. Those are good breakout candidates. I don't know how much crossover there was with our list from previous shows, but not you know people don't listen to every single show we have, so it's okay. Okay, you're, you're allowed to repeat yourself. So those are your year two breakouts. Yeah. All right. So I've got um, offensive side of the ball. Isaiah Likely. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sometimes you know the, the sometimes the training camp buzz hits year two. Even even though they're going to be pivoting towards more wide receivers, fewer tight ends. 
in that offense under Munkin? I don't know that they're definitely going, but Likely's just he's like a big receiver, you know. So I think there'll be a role okay. for Isaiah Likely, Rashad White of the Bucks at running back. I think they're going to make him their workhorse there. The thing working against Rashad White is I don't trust the offensive line that much. But I think White... Or, or the offense generally. <laughs> or the offense generally. But I think White is going to have... I think they're going to run the ball volume-wise a lot more than they did last year because it's going to be Kyle Trask or Baker Mayfield under center. But Rashad White, by I'm trusting the talent. Okay. Talented running back. The other, so all of these kind of contradict themselves because I don't know if the opportunity... like the right, I don't know if it's the right environment for a breakout, but I'm trusting the talent. Greg Dulcich, mm. tight end for the Broncos. I don't know if you ever want to predict a tight end breakout for a Russell Wilson offense. It's well, not his cup of tea necessarily, but uh, did, Dulcich is great. Did Sean Payton connect his name to Taysom Hill, or was that other people cr- connecting the dots of Payton said some nice things about Dulcich, he's going to be his Sean Payton? Cause if, his Taysom Hill? Yeah, sorry, his Taysom Hill. Because if Payton himself linked Dulcich to Taysom Hill, there then, will yeah, be you opportunity. Buy you buy in. Right. There will be opportunity. He'll in have fact, his contract ripped up and restructured. Fact, there will be vastly more opportunity than he deserves. But if it was other people connecting those dots, then not necessarily. Red zone quarterback, Greg Dulcich. Yeah. Um, defensive side of the ball, I just listed, let's say, three names. Marcus Jones for the Patriots. Mm-hmm. We saw him as an explosive offensive playmaker, but he'll go back to playing slot corner and be in awesome. Uh, once he's given the opportunity this year for the Patriots, uh, Jordan Davis for the Eagles. We didn't. We only saw him for the 270 snaps or whatever it was last year. He was hurt for some of it and got got beat up while he was hurt. But I think if he's healthy, Jordan Davis, Eagles, big 340 pound nose tackle, will be good. And his former teammate Devontae Wyatt, two guys who just played uh, not a ton of snaps, first rounders, Georgia. Wyatt's a good one. They'll get their they'll get their year yeah. two opportunity and both guys graded pretty well like graded in the green as far as their first season get to 400 500 snaps for davis get to maybe six 700 snaps for wyatt those guys will be good Wyatt will be a fun one to watch because he basically didn't get given much of an opportunity last year at all um remember the talk that you know andy dalton was the starting quarterback until it was earned you know nothing's going to be given it's all got to be earned andy dalton we signed him for a reason he's going to be our starter in carolina yeah yeah yes uh over bryce young the number one overall pick right and we debated at the time you know how long would that actually happen and i'm pretty sure we said there's no way that bryce young won't be starting at the start of the season you know however long it they debate this thing for let me just read you a uh, a sentence and then uh, a second sentence and <laughs> Panthers rookies, including the number one overall pick, Bryce Young, will report to training camp on July the 22nd. That's Sunday? No, Saturday. Last Sunday, Saturday. Veterans will report on July 25th. That's yesterday. And the first practice will be held Wednesday, July 26th at 10.15 a.m. That's an hour and a half ago. Cut to uh, head coach Frank Reich announcing the number one overall pick, Bryce Young, is their starting quarterback. So it took an hour and a half. For Bryce Young to jump Andy Dalton as the as the starting quarterback in Carolina, judging by all the information that you just threw out there, I think it's safe to say that that starting job has been earned. <laughs> yes, he he earned it. He earned it the whole way. An hour and a half of practice, boom, done. That's all I need to see. We also have another development on that app called Twitter. Not anymore. X. Oh God. Brad Spielberger 
who's done a great job appreciate him filling in as needed around here mm. big part of the pff nfl podcast here recently he has tweeted eyeball emoji oh yeah yeah that's it yep that's all we got that means by tomorrow's show something big may have happened now i tweet the eyeball emoji every now and again oh he just responded great throw in training camp from cj stroud Huh, that was it? I think he, he usually has dirt. He has stuff. <laughs> yeah, stuff. But he can't always break it, you know? I'm yeah. guessing by tomorrow's show, we'll have some breaking news per Brad's eyeball emojis. Hmm. Because okay. sometimes I just throw it out there and I don't have anything. No. No, you just troll people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Big time. Brad, though, he wouldn't do such a thing. No. He wouldn't troll. We got something good happening. Maybe it's just the Bryce Young's QB1. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. So that was so it took an hour and a half for Bryce Young to become number one. Um, Stroud is starting as number one, right? They don't. They're not even entertaining the. Uh, he's just the guy. They're who's, not even. Who's the backup there? Davis Mills. Oh, right. Right. So they're not even like you're not. You don't even need to earn it from Davis. It's just yours. Yeah, Stroud uh, is head and shoulders above Davis. Mills. Richardson and right Minshew. I think they started off with Richardson, right? They already went. Look, Gardner is the better guy right now, but we need. We need Richardson on the field. Did you tell people where we're going? How many of them we got locked in? Just two. Just two? We're going to be going to some training training camps within driving distance. The ones we know for sure will be in Indianapolis next week. Okay. And we'll be in Detroit for Jaguars-Lions joint practice. Probably get Doug Peter. We should be able to. I'll text Doug. See if we can get him back on the show. Yeah, he was... he gave us an interview last time. I know. A little drive-by in the, the media row on the... You know, we'll do a the... drive-by up in Detroit when we go up there. Maybe. For an interview. Yeah, yeah. Of course. So, yeah, we've got some, some travel coming up. We're going to go to some places. Uh-huh. So that was those three. Is there any other rookie quarterbacks that are going to be starting? Who am I missing? Levis didn't. He's not going to be. Jake Hayner. Jake Hayner. Might take Derek yeah. Carr's job. Sure. So it's those three. Okay, so all, the only changes that need to be made have already been made, essentially. Bryce Young, it took him an hour and a half of training camp. No drama. To, uh, to jump the great Andy Dalton, the red rifle. Yeah. All right. Is that it? Is that today's show? It's good to be back. I think so. Just rambling about some NFL football, making news where there isn't any, talking contracts. It's awesome. Appreciate everybody being here. Welcome yeah. back. Well, it's good to be back. We're here. Anyway, happy training camp, everybody. Uh, a couple questions I have. Uh-huh. What, is there any interest from our listeners in any kind of NFL draft discussion throughout the season? Is there any interest? High level, basic stuff. Is there any interest in that? Well, we're going to have, theoretically, five shows a week to fill. Let's see what we have to fill. I'm just saying, is there any interest in NFL draft? Because um, I've got some preseason takes when it comes to the draft. I've been getting the first look. Oh, yeah going i got some preseason takes i've looked at like three players does that count sure okay if it's the right players I mean, I'm, I'm always trying to nudge you into draft analysis a little bit sooner i looked a lot at marvin harrison yeah that's the one that i save them save the takes but i'm interested in how many people care about the draft throughout the again high level player analysis that type of thing um and there was one other thing i was going to ask yeah if people wanted to uh and you've forgotten what it is that's going to make it difficult to ask focused on the the draft aspect of it. Uh-huh. 
We need a, we still need the next charity suggestion, both in terms of the charity to donate to and in terms of the thing we can do. One thing I would say is we've had a, quite a lot of people suggest that we do like a, we do like, you know, dueling things, which is fine. The only problem with that is, so they've suggested, you know, we raise the money and then we, whoever wins the challenge between you and I, that's the charity that the money goes to. The only issue with that is, it's very easy to raise the money using GoFundMe as opposed to anything else, you know, and that like the money goes straight to them immediately. It doesn't have to be like that, though. We, the, the way we did it last time, I think I we both raised money and then it, well, yeah, it goes but, to both. But one of us, you know, wins. But that's what I'm saying is that in order to do it in such a way where you raise the money and then all of the money goes in one direction. But we just won't do it. We can't do it. We can, but it's more of a pain in the we ass. We don't want to, to have it. all the money go in one direction. We can have it go to two different places. Just saying, pick a one, lot pick of people one. have suggested that I got as a it. concept that all it. of the money that we raise separately and all of the money goes to the place that whichever one of us wins the challenge determines, that's a much more pain in the ass way of doing it in terms of the logistics of the money raising. So I would simply suggest that that's not a great mechanism for whatever we're doing. We just need charity thing which Got can it. be a competition between you and i it's just that won't determine where the money goes the one thing i was going to ask was would it was anybody interested in like a quick off-season recap show because <laughs> i presented that i saw someone on espn did it like here's everything you need to know from the off-season in case you forgot uh-huh. free agency draft trades biggest stories we, we will and you know we're pretty quick so we'll just oh yeah super you to be like in five minutes uh-huh. Off season. Well, that, that's what it'll be. Off season. Recapping the off season in five minutes. Yeah. Like a five, five show. And we'll just remind everybody. It'll just kind of like reset things as training camp starts this week. Or we could just we have a whole show reacting to all training camp videos. We'll show the video and then react. Show the video, react. That'd be a great show. <laughs> react to all of the training camp. It's definitely gonna get us pulled down of YouTube. Perfect. Anyway, that's it for us. We'll be back again tomorrow. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you tomorrow with more PFF NFL Podcast.